Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hello and welcome to Your Booked, the podcast for literary nosy parkers. I'm your book inspector, Daisy Buchanan. Firstly, this is a call for all writers, especially writers who need a confidence boost. In January, I'm going to be launching my Creative Confidence Clinic and hosting a five-week creative writing course. It's called Write Like a Reader and it's for writers like you, book lovers who want some emotional support and encouragement when it comes to getting those brilliant ideas out of your head and onto the page. It's all going to happen on Zoom, and it's going to be really cosy, friendly and intimate. If you'd like to find out more details and inquire about a place, check out the Your Book newsletter, which you can find at furtherreading, all one word, .substack.com. Also, subscribers to Further Reading will be the first to get news about brand new episodes. You'll be able to buy tickets to live events I'm hosting with other writers. You'll hear from me about the books I love, and we'll have all sorts of goodies and book giveaways for you. And soon, your book listeners will be the very first people to see the cover of my brand new novel. I'm also hoping to get a pre-order discount for you, and there will be some very special freebies and prizes for the people who pre-order, including the chance to appear on an episode of the podcast. For now, my 2022 novel, Careering, a wry and caustic look at how your dream job can turn into a nightmare and eat you alive, and a BBC Sounds book club selection, is available in all the usual places. If you'd like a signed and dedicated copy of Careering or my other books, Insatiable, The Sisterhood, How to Be a Grown-Up, The Margate Bookshop and Book Bodega in Ramsgate can make it happen. They deliver nationwide. Christmas is coming. Now on to today's guest. I'm so excited about this because when I was growing up, I wanted to be Sarah Cox. When she was on Big Breakfast and presenting Radio 1, I fantasised about being her friend, but thought she'd never talk to a nerd like me. So past me is thrilled and astonished to share this conversation where we both nerd out about books for an hour. Sarah is the perfect your book guest because as well as being an excellent author, check out her gorgeous memoir Till the Cows Come Home and the very, very funny, very moving throne. She hosts my favourite TV show Between the Covers at seven o'clock on Tuesdays on BBC Two. She invites a fabulous crew of celebrity guests to join her book club and share their favourite books. If you've missed episode one, you can find it on the iPlayer. Hearing Graham Norton talking about Octavia Butler is a delight. Now, to the episode. I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. Let's talk about Between the Covers because I'm so excited. I'm a massive fan of the show. Have there been any guests where they've like agreed or disagreed where you thought, oh, I didn't see that coming. These very different people have this, you know, very surprising opinion on this novel. 
they'll often, they'll often become quite um, passionate discussions, especially about genres. That seems to be, rather than specific novels, it'll mainly be sci-fi fans trying to persuade non-sci-fi fans just how deep sci-fi is. Patterson Joseph was was trying to persuade Jenny Clare and Sophie Rayworth. Well, it, in fact, it was Patterson Joseph and Al Murray were trying to persuade Sophie Rayworth and Jenny Clare um, about The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um, and it's a book that is mentioned a lot throughout. I think it's mentioned at least once each series. I'm on our fifth series now. I guess Patterson, his spiel was very much like, it's sci-fi, but it's actual life and emotions and personalities and friendship and struggle and love. But it's just set in a slightly different place and time. That's the only difference. It still tackles all the themes. Uh, whereas Sophie and Jenny were were like, you know, no, we're just left. We're left cold by it. We can't. We don't want to place ourselves on an, an imaginary place while we're dealing with all these emotions and all these people. And then it was quite funny because then Patterson Joseph is a great actor. He was kind of like, in fact, it's not my job here to persuade you to like sci-fi because he loves it so much. He's kind of like, if you want to miss out on a huge genre that, that offers so much to so many people, then, you know, that's your decision. But it's not my job to try and make you like it. And at the end, people often swap books and take each other's BYOBs home. And uh, but we we couldn't quite make Jenny take uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, although I did, and I've yet to read it because I'm I'm ploughing through lots of the BYOBs from this series, and I've got some left over from last series, so uh, I I need to get around to it because obviously it's a classic and it's so popular. And I also brought on Catch Twenty Two, and I've read I'm Glad My Mom Died which is what Jenny brought in. And I'm halfway through The Salt Path at the moment by Raina Wynn. So that's such a brilliant, eclectic mix. <laughs> I know. And I'm like, I, I'm, I'm hoping that the viewers are exactly the same. What I'm doing, what I do to myself is what I'm hoping we do to the viewers, which is push them out of their comfort zone genre wise, but also, you know, tempt them to try a book that's recommended by the by our guests and I've literally, you know, I've got two of them on my shelf, one I've finished and I've just given, I'm glad my mom died, my 18 year old then read it after me. And actually it was, it was Jenny's BYOB and she said she was reading it at the same time as her niece, who's, you know, I imagine 20 years younger or whatever. And she said it just, and it just, they both really connected with it, even though they're so different in ages. Um, and my 18-year-old absolutely loved it. She raced through it. And I've just given it to my sister-in-law who was visiting over the weekend. So it's lovely. I mean, I'm going away. If nothing else, you know, I'm going away with lots of great books that I've yet to, you know, yet to read. Something I think about a lot is uh, David Baddiel. I think it might have been a couple of series ago, was talking about The Girl with the Louding Voice by Abby DeRay, which is one of my favourite books. And Yes. But that he said something along the lines of, and I'm going to paraphrase horribly, all of the cover quotes were like, you know, this is a very important book and this is very serious and we must all read it and learn about other cultures. And he said, I think that does this a massive disservice because... The, this book is a book that is so lively and beautiful and vibrant and the writing's just so gorgeous and you absolutely skip through it and you love Adunny, the heroine, so mm. much. And I thought, yes, every time someone says like, 
need to read this serious, important book. There's a little bit of my brain that just sort of dies and like wants to lie down in the corner. Like, no, no, thank you. And I think it's so important that, I mean, God, I, I sound like, you know, a teacher talking to five-year-olds. And I know that everyone listening to this podcast very much feels like reading is fun, but I do think we are sometimes in danger of forgetting that and hearing um, all of these people who just, you know, found sort of pure pleasure and exhilaration in reading I'm Glad My Mum Died. That, you know, the feeling of like having to sort of to get back to a book because you you don't like being away from it. I was just reading a Jane Fallon, which was distracting me from Bake Off. I was enjoying it so much. (laughs) Oh, no, that's, yeah. I mean, that's that's an accolade and a half, that is. Um, Yeah, I was exactly the same with I'm Glad My Mum Died. I kept trying to sneak off and read it when we were on holiday for half term recently and it's lovely I agree it's lovely when you get that feeling where you're just desperate to you know you, you're kind of thinking okay well I'm going to do this I'm going to have a bit of family time I'm going to and then we'll walk the dogs and then I'll be able to uh, run off and, and and finish this book but to your point about the girl with the loading voice I mean I agree I think with books that um, a tackling a different time and a tumultuous time in history there is a, a bit of a danger of sounding a little bit worthy and people being a bit frightened with the language that they use that you know they 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 want to make sure that they are correct in how they describe it and and so if it is um you know if it tackles issues such as slavery i think people are scared to also say but this is an entertaining book and it's essentially a story of a little girl who is so badass and so funny and so bright and witty and how she describes everyone. I mean, I listened to the audio book and it's just brilliantly, brilliantly acted and really brought it alive. Uh, alive. And we've got a book that is, uh, our book, a backlist for the series, is The Long Song by Andrea Levy. And that is the story of uh, a young slave girl called July. And I absolutely love this book the story at its core is horrific the time that it's set you know it's a disgusting period of history of course but the book itself is incredibly entertaining and funny and the language it's kind of rude and raucous and it's reminded me it took me a little bit back to Chaucer to school because it is sometimes July the way she'll describe somebody and it's quite you know it's um it's a bit vulgar and she'll describe their bombs and their boobs and their bits and it's <laughs> but and it's brilliant and it and um and it's just an absolutely sort of you know that that's what's so brilliant when we're looking back through the book about list is to just shine a light on books like this where we're like wow this is a real gem this one everyone wants to know this i don't know if it's a secret like you know the, the ingredients in beans like you can't possibly mm. reveal how it's done but how do you choose the book of backlist because i can't think of a job that is a more fun but b like more daunting and you're like i'm sorry we're just going to have to make this program forever because there are so many books we need to have in this list <laughs> there's a real formula behind it and a little bit of magic and just knowledge really and a love of books so amanda ross she is the woman uh, who created the richard and judy book club all those years ago and brought books to mainstream TV. Obviously, Richard and Judy's book club was hugely popular. So she was massively involved with that. And she is um, the woman who is, she's the exec producer. She's completely in charge of this show. She's a passionate, avid reader. She loves supporting new 
uh, authors. She can spot um, a glinting little jewel in in sort of a big murky pile of you know. I just she can just manage. There are so many books that she reads, and so many books that she's got. To, she's got to try and pick the correct one. It's really impressive how she does it. So she basically she has a group of really trusted readers. She reads all of them herself. They're on a mission to go through the book of Atlas, and they do this for the new books as well. It's got to be we've got to have all the genres, if possible, represented in there. Um, we've got to have light and shade in there, even down to you know how, how complicated a book is, how or how entertaining, or the themes within the book. They try and get it so that the variety, so they're just all vastly different. Um, and each time they give me the list, a little bit of me prays that I've read one of them. And sometimes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> sometimes I have, and that's a real woohoo moment. Other times I know them because of a film. I've never read them. And I'm a bit like, oh, really? Okay. And then that happened with The Remains of the Day. And I read a lot of the books through their audio books, basically, because to get to read these 12 books in time, I have to be reading constantly and audio books just makes it physically possible. So when I'm driving up to the horse or when I'm on my bike going to work or when I'm cooking or walking the dogs, I've usually got a little airbud in and I'll be listening to a, an audio book. And Dominic West reads The Remains of the Day. And good Lord, Daisy, he does the best job ever of it. It's just so, he's just so stilted and so um, repressed the way he, and the way he reads the words. It's so fantastically acted. He's brilliant. So it was interesting because when I saw that on the list, I was like, okay, here we go. This is, I'll get through this, but I loved it. It's a bit like Bleak House, I think, where you hear the title and you think, oh, really? Do I really want to yeah. read? There's a book I love by an Italian author called Alberto Moravia. And I read it at university in translation. And I mentioned this to an Italian person. Oh, have you heard of this writer? It's like, yes, he's the most famous writer in Italy. Don't um, book explain to me. <laughs> but it's called The Time of Indifference. And I love this book very much. But Ooh. afterwards, I was like, oh, the time of indifference, that's the worst title in the world. And I think the remains of the day is also, it's not yeah. like you've got to get past that to get into it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what, I mean, that's what we're really hoping people will get from the show that they'll, they'll pick them up and they'll try these books. A little bit lighter was Us by David Nichols, which funnily enough, I just, I loved one day so much like everybody did. And then I tried, and then I started to read Us and I wasn't that mad on it. I don't know why. And then when I approached it for this, again, I had the audio book and I, and I really, really enjoyed it. And it felt like a real romp. And I don't know if it's because my brain is just a bit more switched on to reading, thanks to the show, where I am making time for it and where I am, you know, reading more and reading, you know, all different kinds of books that actually compared to some of the others also did feel a little bit like a lighter relief. But I really, really enjoyed the characters. And that was one of the book of Batlist and really enjoyed switching allegiances where mm. I was like, what, you know, I think I came out really being on in the Douglas camp, feeling quite sorry for him, even though he was quite, you know, a pain in the arse and quite yes. a stickler. You know, it was, 
yeah, it was interesting just one minute, you know, we're, we're liking Connie or, you know. Such a sense of deja vu because quite recently with another author on this podcast, someone said exactly the same thing, that they were not mad on us at first. And, you know, who doesn't love one day? Holy goodness me. It's yeah, just so beautiful and brilliant. And I think I had that. And when I read us, I just remember feeling really really sad and really kind of hollowed mm. out because it is such a difficult book it's brilliant and funny and so well observed but it's not kind of there's no element of escapism in it even though they are mm. escaping and they're on this sort of fantastic trip but yeah and actually it was seeing the tv adaptation I was like oh I get it now and I was like I wasn't oh interesting I don't, That's I don't interesting. think I was yeah. mature enough for it the first time I read it and I was maybe God, when did it come out? I'm 37 now, but I was just like, no, I just, I just want true love, and I want forever. And then realizing how sophisticated and subtle and nuanced the story was about how yes. you can love each other so much and fall out of love, and the because it's it's smart, but not a sneering smartness at all. It's just taught with the greatest emotional intelligence, but also so much warmth and vulnerability and care. It's extraordinary. Yeah, and I I loved, um, I think you're right, actually. I tried, when the TV show series started, I thought, oh, maybe I'll give that a go. And then I couldn't connect with that either. And funnily enough, it was the audio book that made me really love it and made me get it a lot more. And the, some of the reviews aren't great for the audiobook because, and people say, because the guy who reads it is, is really boring. He reads it in a boring way. But the point is, is that he's being Douglas. And that's what's so brilliant about it is that this guy that you want to reach into the pages and lightly throttle at, at moments, you know, and just go, just relax, just go with it. Stop pushing people away from you, you know. But he can't, none of us can help how we are. We're all flawed. We're all irritating and we and personalities will sort of clash and we'll, you know, we'll frustrate each other in marriages and in relationships. And I guess the key is to find out, you know, what things what what things are worth fighting for. And that's kind of what it questions. And um, but the reviews did make me laugh because I thought well, he's kind of doing a great job. If you think he's boring, it's kind of that's what Douglas is. So the guy's doing an excellent job. It's it's not Ben Wishaw, but he sounds a bit like Ben Wishaw. I think they're real um, uncelebrated heroes. The people who do good jobs with audio books. I'm really learning that. And Je- Jenny Eclair. I mean, I sound like I'm obsessed with Jenny Eclair. So I keep mentioning that she has. Uh, she gets really dry eyes. I think it's like actually. A, you know, a medical, she's got like dry, dry eye syndrome and she can't really read for any length of time now. And she realised, she loves reading and she relies on audio books a lot. And, you know, she was saying just how, what a skill it is to, to read one well. Oh, because I think we had her on the podcast a little while ago and she said that very thing. And am I right in thinking that her and her partner, Jeff, do they listen to an audiobook together every night? Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah. I've just yeah. read a book by an author called Julia Whelan, and she wrote a very successful book I haven't read called My Oxford Year. But this book is about, it's set in the world of romantic fiction narration. And I think that you'd Ooh. really love it. It's really, really funny. It reminds me a lot of Emily Henry. And I think that... Um, she might be uh, Emily Henry's narrator. Oh, what's it called, this book? Thank You for Listening by Julia Whelan. Oh, which is okay. very, very clever and very moving. This whole industry of readers and how that works. I love any oh, I love book that. that's 
about a world that I know little about. There's a, um, a William Boyd one that's set in the world of kind of late 19th century piano tuning <laughs> internationally. And I love those, the piano tuning bits. <laughs> <laughs> what do you because are you a skilled piano tuner yourself no i have grade one piano i know nothing and i think that all of my <laughs> piano playing was done on a badly untuned piano so maybe that's what maybe i want to go back to the past and uh, and get better at the piano again <laughs> yeah maybe that's where where that is i was just looking at my i've got i've got a william boyd because it was recommended it's another one that i've got to get that I've got to get to. There's so many books on my shelf now, they're groaning. Piano tuning one I've just looked up is called Love is Blind, I think. Any Human Heart is... Yes, that's one the one I've got, books. Any Human Heart. So that's the one that is on my list. To your point about um, listening to an audiobook, like Jenny Claire listens with her husband to audiobooks. I've just finished um, Rob Delaney's um, A Heart That Works, which is about Henry the death of Henry, his little boy. And I, I kept seeing excerpts in the Sunday papers and I kept thinking, I don't know. I, I love Rob Delaney, I'm a massive fan. Mm-hmm. And he actually came on the on the book show a few series ago and my memory and my maths are equally bad, but I think it must have been a couple of years after Henry died. But I, I wasn't aware at the time. But, but he talked about on the show how him and his wife read to each other that so they you know in bed they will they will read a couple of chapters so one person is listening and picturing everything that the book is about and one uh is reading it and so he's getting pleasure from reading it and performing it to a certain extent Mm. and also imagining what's happening and then they chat about it afterwards now when he said this on the book show you know i didn't know that it was something that they did i think during henry's illness but they found huge comfort in and maybe when you're in such a state of sorrow, worry and stress and grief and anger and all those emotions, the only way to get through books is to read to each other. And I just thought it just sounded... I think when he said it on the show, I was like, oh, that's so lovely, you guys, you know, because I just mm. thought, oh, that's so sweet. But, you know, I didn't know the story behind it, the backstory to it. But I just thought when I listened to his audio book of A Heart That Works, I thought, you know, that's rather beautiful that that's how they they managed to escape what was going on in their lives just, you know, for a few minutes at a time by reading to each other. Oh, goodness, because I haven't read that yet. And, you know, like, oh, I'm a oh. huge, huge fan of Rob Delaney. I think he's brilliant. And I think I'm quite, I know it's going to be, you know, profound. I know it's going to be excellent. Mm. Um, it's it's incredible. And it you it makes you it'll make you burst out laughing and then it will make you burst out crying and it will make you swear like out loud like you know fuck's sake like with like just how unfair it is and how brutal it is and it makes you feel and I think that's what he wants to do with the book a little bit it's like have some feet you know feel a bit of our pain feel the injustice you know we don't want any of these things happen for a reason shit you know it's like it's brutal and it it wins you sometimes though brutal it is but having said that I really really recommend it and I'll never forget it as a book and I feel like you know I, obviously I never met Henry and I don't know his wife Leah or these other boys but you feel like 
you do a little bit, you know, and you feel like they've made an impact on you a little bit and Henry's life has made a little impact on you. I don't know about you, but when I read a book and I pick it up and, you know, sometimes a memoir, but even sometimes fiction, I've just read um, a book that's coming out next year and I'm loving it so much. I think I've got a chapter to go so I can confidently say it's excellent. Really good, actually, by Monica Heisey coming in January. And... Because the heroine of that book is so sort of personable and funny and direct, I feel like I've had the most intimate experience. I feel like I know her because it's written in the first person. I've got this completely false sense of that I know Monica intimately, which I don't at all. And I think reading a memoir, I always feel that way, even though I've written, you know, memoir, I've written my books, How to Be a Grown Up and the Sisterhood, and, you know, in my journalism, it's also the very first person. And I know that what I'm sharing with a reader, it's not kind of direct and unfiltered. And it's sort of, it is, you know, it's real and it's honest, but it's also put together in a journalistic way. And it's something I feel comfortable and able to share. But what I was going to say is I think that with an audio book, there's even more intimacy. Someone is literally telling you the story that you feel so close with someone when it's just you and their book but when it's just you and their voice my goodness yeah 100 percent. i've got really um got really into my audio books like as i was reading a heart that works from rob delaney i was i thought i need to get around to reading tom allen's no shame that's his first book his memoir he's written another one since um, about the death of his dad and about grieving and family, which I want to get round to. Tom Allen came on the book show and he was just brilliant. I just, I just really love him as a person. I think he's really awesome. And I saw, I saw him at a Halloween party. I was talking about it on air because I'd sort of DM'd him on Twitter to play, hey, let's be friends in real life. <laughs> and um, he didn't get back. And I was like, oh, God, but at least it was a bit of content for the radio because <laughs> you've got a daily radio show, like everything's content, even humiliation where people shun you for friendship. Um, but then he must either heard the radio or he, he saw the message late and was like, oh, my God, sorry, I've not answered. And then what's quite funny is I'm, I'm now getting round to his audio book because I, I was I, I actually find him like really quite relaxing to listen to because he kind of makes me laugh as well. But then I thought, is that weird that like I'm wanting to become his friend, but now I'm re- listening to his memoir? Um, it seems, you know, that it feels like it's making me feel like I'm a little bit of a stalky pants. But going through my books I went through a real sort of middle-aged middle-class white male autobiography that I, I had David Mitchell, a couple of Louis Theroux's, Adam Buxton's Ramble book, Bob Mortimer's And Away book which is fantastic. I, I just sort of uh, binged on on these autobiographies over the course of it must have been some sort of reaction in between series of between the covers maybe you know I just needed something I I need some itch scratching and I think uh, Bob Mortimer was like a a gateway drug where he was like he got me hooked on that kind of genre and then before I knew it that's all I was reading for a couple of months Um, I was uh, hungrily trying to find more books from Louis Theroux and and they were all audio books and you know I I think um, like you say you do feel like you really you really do get to know the person, especially with Adam Buxton, you know, talking oh. about his dad. And it's a really good, really good book, actually. And my, my parasocial relationship with Adam Buxton, you know, a little bit like <laughs> you, actually, where it's like in my ears the whole time. We're like, yes. of course, the mates. We're like, no, no. But I love that book. I loved Ramble Book. And I love, because he's such a, 
a fan of of life, I think, and of culture yeah. and of movies. And obviously, Bob Mortimer, you know, like everyone else in the world, I am so in love with him. But what again, what I loved about that book is I think Bob is just so, so fantastically generous. If he can be kind, if he can be enthusiastic, he mm. is. And I think we're maybe, I think it's been in the waters for a while, but I think we're becoming less and less cynical. I was a kind of a teenager or, you know, a preteen in the 90s, which felt like a really, like, sneery show-off time when you just sort of mm. say, oh, everything's rubbish and I don't like things. And we're in now this era of liking things. And I think you can't be a reader and not be that kind of nerd who's just, like, got your hand up being like, I love this. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like, you know, you can just find solace and positivity in books uh, especially at the moment when the rolling news is just so depressing and it just feels like the world's ending sometimes. It's lovely just to have a positive experience. You've got to just grab your little, I know it's Richard E. Grant, is it a pocket full of happiness? Mm. Or, I think his book. And it is about just, you know, trying to find little pockets of joy in your day. And at the moment, I'm very much finding them in reading and I'm making a, a concerted effort to put down my phone and to read and I'm really enjoying the salt path at the moment I've not read Richard's book but just to he was on Adam Buxton's podcast wasn't he last week or so and that's a brilliant listen as well um and you know I, I smiled through a lot of that and cried a little bit as well as he talked so beautifully about his wife and they talk so openly so yeah I'm very much open to to, to positivity and to trying to just, you know, nurture myself and look after my brain a little bit. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. We'll be back with Sarah soon, but now it's time for my steal of the week. I've chosen Winter in the Air and Other Stories by Sylvia Tausendborner. Faber have just reissued this beautiful collection, first published in 1938. These are subtle, gorgeous, funny, biting stories about men, women, disappointment and hope. Her voice is singular and astonishing, but if you need to get a sense of vibe, I'd say think Barbara Pym meets Penelope Mortimer. 
Faber's new edition is as beautiful on the outside as on the inside. This would make a very good Christmas present for you. Winter in the Air is published by Faber and out now. Now back to Sarah. I would love to know a bit more about your early relationship with books and if there are any books you remember reading, like the first book where you didn't want to put it down and it didn't feel like homework and it didn't feel like a chore and you're like, oh, this is reading, this is what the fuss is about. I guess the really honest answer is when I couldn't wait to get back to a book would have been when I was like 15 and on holiday with my friend and my parents and it was things like Jackie Collins and Jilly Cooper, Polar and Riders. For me, that I mean, before that, it was Judy. It'd be Judy Bloom. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Sarah, you're you're naming my canon right now. I am <laughs> obsessed with Jilly Cooper, and I've met her a couple of times, and she is even wow. more amazing than her. She's amazing. And... I'd love to meet her. I'd, I mean, I never got to meet Jackie. I think she's just so iconic. I mean, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. It, it was for me was where. I felt like a book sort of spoke to me and I really loved reading it. Um, and Secret Diary of Adrian Mole as well. Mm. But for me, the, the the thing of like, I can't wait, to, when am I going to get to read? And just sitting there sizzling in, in you know, Factor 5 uh, sun oil with lemons squeezed onto my hair to make my hair go blonde. <laughs> to go blonde. And, yeah, and surrounded by a halo of wasps in Cyprus or somewhere because I had all this fruit squeezed on my head um, and just in my <laughs> nose, <laughs> so ridiculous. And my nose in a book would have been like Polo and Riders and, and oh. Jilly Cooper and Jackie Collins and all of those books because, and also, it's so silly, but also Riders had horses in and I was I was horse mad and I was starting to be boy mad. So it just was like, ding, ding, so you know. Did, were you dreaming of being... Um, so Marion, his Rupert Campbell Black glamorous groom, and all the grooms were sort of, were, you know, gorgeous <laughs> and in magazines. And they were like this sort of huge events and everyone was sort of knew who they were and they were the ones who get to, got to get near the horses. And were, oh, because yes. I think Jilly writes animals so beautifully and they are as important yeah. to her stories as the, the people are. Yeah, I mean, she's, um, I mean, it was, it was all of that. It was all of the above. I, and, and went on to be a groom for a little while. When I got the girly show, I was grooming for a couple. The husband was a show jumper. And I remember getting the girly show gig when I was like 20, just before my 21st birthday. And then being like, well, where are you off to? And I'm like, oh, I've got to go to London for this meeting, you know. And I couldn't help them, you know, load their horses and bandage their legs up and stuff and for a show at the weekend because I was off gallivanting down to fancy London. Um, but it, it was all of that world, just that horsey world, which I was never really part of because we didn't have enough money. You know, I would literally put some ham butties in a, in a backpack and ride my little fat pony to the local show and pop over a couple of fences, usually the wrong way, and get disqualified. So for me, that that step up into the world of being, when I was 15, that world of, you know, being a, a groom and being around all these absolute cats and all these sexy passages, you know, these uh, these steaming hot, sexy sessions. I mean, I couldn't get enough of it on my, on my sunbed 
inside I mean, us. I think that's what she does so well. And Jackie Collins, where, I mean, that world, um, billion dollar takeovers in our, like, you know, Versace pantsuits, being like, I've just brought the boardroom to their knees and now you're going to bring me to my knees, sexy, whatever. Um, but it's like, you feel like you're in the gang, you feel like you're in the world. And I know uh, we're chatting books, but I don't know if you listen to Dear Joan and Jerrica. Yes, um, I love it so much. But one of the one of the episodes I've listened to recently is them reading a novel that one of them has written. I don't know if it's if they've written, if they've co-wrote this this sexy romp of a novel, and it's really taken the mickey out of that genre because it's about this stallion and this beautiful woman with her pneumatic breasts and the dowdy daughter and the the footsie under the table and then the, the rampant sex in the stable. And it's absolutely hilarious. So it's a, it's a, a big, um, yeah, a Mickey take of all the sort of bonk buster horsey novels of, of uh, Jackie and Jilly. Uh, but the Joan and Jerrica version is incredible. That sounds absolutely fantastic. Um, my first novel, Insatiable, has lots of filthy bits, but no horses. So I'm wondering if I ought to... <laughs> Did you read the audiobook of Insatiable? I didn't read the audiobook of Insatiable. That was a brilliant woman called Charlie Clive. I mean, Charlie's really, really fantastic and did such a, a brilliant job. And it's one of those things where you write it. And I mean, when I wrote that book, I you know had my head full of my heart full of Jillian Jackie, obviously, but also there was a bit of me that didn't quite believe anyone would ever have to read it. Um, and then yeah. thinking that this, you know, this woman, this amazing professional actor was being paid money to sit in a booth and read my sex scenes out loud. And you think, ooh, uh, <laughs> thanks. That's inc- uh, yeah, so you made somebody else do it. And, yeah, somebody else have to read out your fruity bit. Did you narrate your novel? Yeah, so I did. I did the. I did. I, I narrated Throne, and I did the sex. There's only really one sex scene. I think. Yeah, there's only one sex scene. But I, I did it in. I did it in one take. I knew that I would have to do it in one take to get through it, because you know it was. Oh God, when I just think of it now. You know, the the husband, like, you know, would, oh, my God, just like, it was just too much. It just makes my toes curl now. Just Writing it was fine. Writing it was kind of hot. I was into writing it. But then the reality of having to read it out, I was like, oh, Jesus. And the guy who um, recorded it did a brilliant job called Alfie. But he had the same name and same age as my nephews. You know, he's in his mid-20s. This lovely boy to me, he's a full-grown man, but to me, just this lovely boy next door through the glass. And I'm having to read about this woman's pants being pulled aside, you know, it's just like, <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, and uh, I'm actually, if you could see me now, I'm like in a fetal position now. I've got my knees tucked up to my face because I'm just like, ah, oh, at the thought of it. But Jeremy, um, Jeremy Vine's a really good mate of mine. And uh, he's uh, my fellow Radio 2 DJ and TV presenter. And he's written a couple of novels. And uh, his first novel he sent to me, sent to me to read through. And I couldn't look at him for a couple of times, <laughs> like the next couple of times I saw him. Because it was, you know, I was, I was like, wow, you really like a nipple, don't you, Jeremy? <laughs> 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 a nipple, nipples were in there. <laughs> 
there's a protruding nipple here and a nipple sticking out here because of the cold and because of nipple being fondled. <laughs> I was like, Jesus, <laughs> you know, I really studied my, you know, my trickle or salad or whatever when uh-huh. we went to lunch the next time. Not yet read any of Jeremy Vine's novels and I'm not quite sure. I'm sort of cringing in my body, but also I have a strange urge to seek them out immediately. <laughs> Yeah, it's good, actually. It's a good book. You should read it. He's a very funny man. I do love Jeremy. Are there um, any books in particular that have really inspired you in your own writing or any writers that make you sort of think, oh, this is this is how I want to write. This is how I want to do it. Really? I mean, what largely happens is I just, you know, I just try not to be too intimidated by, you know, all the brilliant writers that I'm surrounded by that way. when I'm reading for Between the Covers. I try to compartmentalize the books that I'm reading and just think, okay, that's what they do and they're amazing at that. And what I do is very different, you know, from David Mitchell's Cloud Atlas. <laughs> I kind of liked it because when we covered that's another book about list and Graham Norton was on. And um, I think it is Forever Home is his novel, his more recent one. I think it's his third novel and he's he, you know he said on the show like yep just kind of have to accept you know it just makes me want to close my laptop and slide it away from me when I read something like Cloud Atlas but I tell you who um, who does inspire me is rather than with their books but with their attitude to writing is Marion Keyes. Yes. She's made me feel more comfortable with the sort of writer that I am because she says it's okay to just want to tell a story and to tell it from someone's point of view. She's a storyteller, you know, she doesn't get bogged down or intimidated or trying to be something that she is. She just wants to tell stories and obviously she tells them really well and people really love them. When I read an interview with her where she was like, I'm just a storyteller. I, that that freed something up in me where I thought on days where I'm feeling a bit intimidated or a bit crap at writing, because I'm writing my second novel now. I just oh, feel like exciting. don't don't feel pressurized, you know, just tell the story. You've just got to write it and then, you know, fix it a bit if it needs fixing or shape it a little bit, do whatever, but you can't do any of that and still until it's down on the page. So you've just got to bloody write the thing. And I feel like there's quite a, there can be a little bit of snobbery out there, or maybe I just put that on myself. I just restrict myself a little bit, and it has to do with insecurity or self confidence. But actually, when someone as successful and popular and brilliant and such a lovely person as Marion Keys says, "Look, I'm just a storyteller. It's okay just to tell stories," then that really helps. I love her so much, and I think I'm never happier than when I'm reading one of Marion's books. And what I think is incredible about what she does is. Her books are, it's funny, isn't it? Because like easy to read doesn't sound like a compliment Mm. at all. But there's no barrier between you and the story she's telling you. You feel fully pulled into the world. And again, those are the books that make me feel like an addicted teenager reading Gillian Jackie and Judy Bloom. Those are the books I don't want to be away from. And then I just, uh, just for a few months ago, I read um, again, Rachel, the sequel to Rachel's Holiday. It's, there's lots in it about grief that's obviously really intense um and she writes about it so beautifully and in a way that feels so like real and visceral and 
accessible in that I think that she prompts all the readers to access something within themselves and it feels really really generous but I did come away thinking in a way I'm really really glad that people use labels like or have you I think we're sort of we're past this now but people you talk about the chip lit and your glittery shoes mm. on the front because these are the books we need we all need the messages and there's profundity here and she's not putting it on a pedestal and being like look I'm grand and you know yeah glamorous and you can't access this she's sharing it with everyone who needs to to see it but yeah I finally handed in my third novel and it was very very hard to write and I did it very badly in the first draft I wrote at people I wrote it at everyone who lives in my head who thinks I'm a dummy who thinks that I write like frivolous things and I was like I'll show you I'll spite you and it turns out that is the very worst thing anyone can do when they're trying to write a book yeah yeah that's so interesting and so have you got a lovely editor who had a who chatted to you about it and gave you a steer and feedback and what happened I have and Darcy is fantastic and she almost it's a bit like magic eye I think and I don't know if this resonates with you at all where it's like oh that story you think you're writing have a look at what you have written and the story is actually about this other thing and it was much more of a a family story than I realised and it's like oh these characters that you've brought in at the beginning and you sort of then run from to go and prove this other point and do this other thing you just need to come back and stay with them and I kept yeah. I kept thinking of myself as being like the world's worst plumber where I didn't know what I was doing it's <laughs> like oh but I've got all these pipes and u-bends and I'll just keep gluing different pipes to more pipes <laughs> it's like no you just have like do you just need one yeah. pipe that goes and goes in a straight line yeah it's a real editors are just incredible aren't they some kind of witchcraft how they can just see yeah, like you say, like a magic eye, they can just see the the story more. I mean, I've got with, with the with the second novel, it's really interesting because the first one I just wrote it and I had a ball. I was like, lad, the lad, writing, 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 writing. Not not um, being held, you know, in restrained by anything. I'm just writing this. Don't quite know where it's going. I'm jumping about in time a little bit. It's all fine, la di da. Um, and then the lessons that you learn with the first one, I found is quite um, as, as restricted my writing a little bit with this one now because I'm much more aware of things like timeline and plotting. And when you plot and plan something, na- naturally the magic goes a little bit for me. You know, it has because I'm like, I- I'm really conscious that I don't want to have to do a massive edit by just jumping around all over the place. But the jumping around all over the place is where the cool stuff sometimes then comes out of its shell and like the the it's that's what's driving me mad at the moment and then I overthink it and then I'm like trying to just you know I'm trying to just write the thing (laughs) I'm just trying to think just get it down on the page you know because that's what needs to happen before you can you know really step back I, I think I'm just guilty of overthinking with it a little bit but also it's like with you where I've started to write one book and it's something, comp- it, it is something different. Like the main thing that it was supposed to be about hasn't really happened until well over halfway through the book, which is about a woman moving house, like and having a complete change of life. So now it's morphed into, into something else. But I, you know, I'm, at the same time, I'm kind of enjoying it. But I'm taking such a, such, such a long time with it. I feel like, I've forgotten bits of it. You know, I need to go back and read it 
But then I'm good mates with Annie Mack and she's on her second novel and her first one, Mother Mother, did really well. And she, you know, she was chatting to somebody who was saying, you know, it's a, books take a long time to write. You know, I'm quite jealous of people who seem to just knock them out. That's what I kind of want to do. I think I'm quite an impatient person. I love, like, ding, ticking things off, you know, and I can get a bit like that with my life where I'm like, right, you know, I've walked the dogs, I've exercised the horse, I've done some writing. I, you know, I've had some, I've watched Bake Off with my youngest, so I've had some quality time there. I've done a workout, um, I've cycled, I've managed to do the, the radio show and I've got content for that. And every, my life's just a series of things that I'm ticking off every day and trying to squeeze it all in and writing. I'm trying to squeeze writing into that. And I don't know if it works like that. I don't know if I need to bugger off to a windswept hill and sit in a croft with some goats and a, and my laptop and just try and lose myself in it more. <laughs> oh, I feel painfully seen because, yeah, I was just so frustrated with how long it was taking. And I felt weirdly, like, ashamed of it. Like, no, yeah. I'm not, I should know now. There's, I'm tr- just trying to find this, some, Brene Brown says something really, really great about how the first time you do something is awful but it's also brilliant because the bliss of it is you have absolutely no idea and you are just doing whatever and then you the second time you know too much and you just feel self-conscious and awkward and you expect so much more from yourself that's so true it's like a tricky second album for a band Mm. isn't it because the first one you know, they've, they've got nothing to compare it to. They just go, they just throw everything into it and it's fun and exciting. And then the second one, there's an expectation there that you put on yourself. And yeah, it's true. I, I interviewed David Nichols and he, well, he was, he said that, and it was, it was kind of helpful actually. He said he, he does at least a thousand words a day, even if he goes back and he chucks a lot of them out. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Maybe that's what I need to do. So for a lot of this book, I did that where not every day, but every time I went into my little writing room at the end of the garden, which is like in this garden office, I thought I'm not bloody leaving here till I've done a thousand. And I did do that for quite a bit. It slipped a bit in the last couple of weeks just because I just got a bit busier with other stuff. And then I do a bit more than a thousand. I found it quite helpful. It's also quite satisfying to, you know, I'm now on like 62,800 or whatever because I've not finished on a thousand and that's a bit annoying. <laughs> I quite like the neatness of it being 61,001 words, you know, and then I'm like, da-da, and I save, close it and go out and throw a bloody frisbee for a dog because I feel like so many demands on my time. There's a bit of guilt there. I think writing feels like a bit of a indulgence, a bit of a passion project. Like it's not, you know, even though I've got a book deal, I feel like it's quite self-indulgent. Like, oh, so I'm doing some writing, are you? <laughs> oh, God, it's pumped. so hard, isn't it? And I, I don't have yeah. children, but I do think that, you know, women especially, there's a book, um, and I, helpfully I cannot remember what it's called or who it's by, but it's like, you know, routines of great creative people and all the men in the, it's like, you know, musicians from sort of hundreds of years ago and writers and everyone. And all the men in the book would be like, I am doing my art. Leave me in peace for 10 undisturbed hours. And they'd go and be silent and sort of yell at any children or servants who wandered in. And with women, it was always like having a notebook 
and then having people always bursting in on them and them having to like cram the notebook under the cushions but oh you're just doing your little writing are you and you know talking and I think that's not changed there's a book I love so much a Persephone book that I talk about a lot um a random commentary by Dorothy Whipple, who was this, a writer in, um, I think the thirties and forties mostly. And I sort of, yeah. it's a lot like, I think, Diary of the Provincial Lady, where you think, oh God, nothing has changed at all. It's really, really funny. And it's a writer constantly complaining that she never gets a minute to write and then having three days where she can do nothing but write and writing nothing and being freaked out. So who's that by? She's called Dorothy Whipple with an H, which yeah. sounds like an ice cream. <laughs> Yeah, what a great name, Whipple. So I've got a random commentary by Dorothy Whipple. The time of indifference, and thank you for listening. I've come away with, I mean, I don't know if you're adding or taking away from the stress of my life. No, you're definitely <laughs> uh, you're definitely taking away the stress <laughs> and adding pleasure, I think, with these books. I'm excited to try and find Oh, I hope so, but I hope it doesn't, help. I wish, I don't know if there's anything I can say or do that will make you feel... That I think in a way writing should be an, not an indulgence. Indulgence is a funny word, isn't it? Because it's really, mm. really loaded. But I think it might be Elizabeth Gilbert in Big Magic, possibly, who the sort of, that we all, all writers, like, oh, if only I had more time to write. And she said, you wouldn't say that if you were having an affair. If you were having an affair, you'd find like, you know, <laughs> nine minutes and just like go and, you know, snog your lover in a corridor and do, do some Julie Cooper business with them. So to feel that, level of excitement I'm so far from that um I wish I was <laughs> that charged up yeah. but I mean but when it flows it when it flows it's just the best feeling in the world isn't it I guess it's like anything I, I learned the piano really badly for like uh you know maybe like eight months or so and it the backstory was was when my sister used to have piano lessons my dad my parents were divorced and my dad would take me to the park while my sister had her piano lesson and that was when I got my dad all to myself and then it was decided that I could start these piano lessons I then didn't really have as much time with my dad and I spent more time in this woman's house waiting to start my piano lesson and so I was like I hate the bloody piano but I never even got to grade one my sister was amazing got to like grade eight but for me when it did when I read the music like I just remember one time and I must have only been about eight years old and the music just literally just it just flowed through me for this one piece and only for a few seconds and only for a short burst did my fingers do the right thing and I didn't think about it and it sounded right and something flawed and I think that's the that's the high that I'm chasing with writing all the time is that lovely feeling, but it's hard to get to that. I share a workspace with my husband and he's in the next room and, you know, he'll pop his head in and, um, <laughs> like, you know, ask me for a cup of tea, pretending like I'm the secretary. And it's kind of funny and kind of nice and quite endearing, but it just drags me out of the moment that mm-hmm. I'm trying to get into. But because it is writing, I can't really snap and be like, I'm trying to stay in the moment because I just do feel like, you know, it's a bit pretentious and up myself to demand that kind of quiet and calm. Does that make sense? I'm like, oh. you feel like you've no, you've no, you know, if I was, if I was there operating on, you know, if I was fitting a, a pacemaker in me, in me, in me writing shed mm. on someone's, you know, I'm open heart surgery, then it'd be much more of a reason to take it seriously. But with writing, I feel like you're not really allowed to get cross or to demand quiet and, you know, solitude. 
Oh, I that is um, I really really hear all of that because like, I think when it's <laughs> this is supposed to be a therapy session by the way <laughs> it's, <laughs> it it's often, really helpful. it often ends up that way me too that <laughs> when it's good it feels like you really are you've gone way underwater and you're walking around on the yeah. seabed and you're describing what you see and then anything anyone who comes anything mid-sentence especially because for me it takes me so long to get to the seabed yes and not sit for five minutes like, oh, I want to just take my emails I want to just Twitter and then yeah. being you're being yanked and you get the yes. bends and you can't go back <laughs> down again that's a perfect analogy that's what it is you finally your feet are just walking along the spongy bottom and you've submerged fully and then yeah you're just like you say you yanked up coughing and spluttering and you know it takes a while to get back down there again if you even manage to that day but, you know, I mean, I do love it. Yeah, funnily enough, you've made me, I've not actually got time to go on right now, but you have made me want to get back in there. Early early mornings I love. I love an early morning with a coffee and just sort of, you know, walking down the garden in the morning and trying to get in there. It feels like my brain is, is quite creative at that time. Yes, because it's before anything has sort of gone in, before you've got that yeah. input and you've got to respond to this top layer of stuff and you can just go and, yeah, that's the best time. My favourite time for outside swimming and for writing. It's another thing I want to start squeezing in again. <laughs> like, you know, I just can't. I grew up with my very hardworking mum, like we're talking like two or three jobs at a time kind of mum, who was always going... Oh, I wouldn't do for another hour in the day, you know. And I just used to be like, what? And now I'm like, yes. And then I'd probably try and fill that hour with writing or reading if I could. Sarah, I could talk to you about reading and writing probably for the next I know, year or it's so. Been but so lovely. I, I really mean, as you could. Said, it's been really helpful. Thank you so oh, much. Oh, that makes me so happy. Do you need to invoice me? I owe you some money for this session. I tell you what, in lieu of an invoice, I would love to know. I know we've talked a bit about what's on your TV. I love your books and... as well. I need to read your books. Tell me the name of your book again. It began with an I. Um, well, I will very happily send you them. Um, stop record, but I've always, I've, my lovely friend, Cheryl. Hello, Cheryl, if you're listening. Cheryl Garrett Hi, Cheryl. is, um, fantastic. She does lots of cool things and she's a brilliant journalist, but also a creative coach who works with people like us who mm. need it. She, she used to say to me, you should plug your books more on your podcast. <laughs> That's yes. So my novels are called, um, Insatiable, which is healthy and, yeah careering which is a romantic comedy about how work will never love you back um it's nice. also well on don't BBC send me any. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna buy these so go on sorry it's on bbc sounds uh it is an abridged version read by ellie white from stafflet's flats um which is very cool i love stafflet's flats cool. and i love ellie white i did want to ask really you cool. about any books that you've not mentioned that are um on your pile or that you're excited about? Uh, that I'm excited about to read. Let me yeah. just mooch on over here. Because well, um, Christmas is coming as well. So anything you're going to ask Santa for? A gift that I want to give to people is The Night Ship by Jess Kidd, which is one of the books featured on the new series of Between the Covers, which is a book I will never forget. So that's my little gift to listeners if they want to treat themselves to it. It's dual timeline 
it's like 18th century and modern day and it's just such a special magical book and Jess Kidd is so talented and it's beautiful and it's a lovely lovely book I'll never forget it um and a gift for, for, to myself that I'm gonna read next I might have to go for um well who does Hearts Invisible Furies I get completely That's mixed John up with Boyne Boyne okay the Hearts Invisible Furies which I love Boyne the Striped Pajamas which I love and they're all so different and I've just read uh his one that he wrote in lockdown that's what I was also reading at half term before I started I'm glad my mom died which is the one about being surrounded it's about um about a horrible family that you wouldn't want to be part of and it's all about social media and how uh, and cancel culture and it's fantastic but yeah another one of his is I think Ladder to the Sky that was a terrible answer sorry it was so waffly here on this podcast, we love a good book waffle. Okay, good. Well, thanks so much. Thanks for your patience. It's been And it's been really lovely to chat. I've had such a lovely time. Thank you so much for making the time. Thanks, Daisy. Thank you. It was really lovely. Huge thanks to Sarah. Between the Covers is on BBC Two, 7pm Tuesdays, and you can catch up on iPlayer. Till the Cows Come Home and Throne are both out now. You can follow us at YBooked on social media. Look out for book recommendations, words of wisdom from old guests and occasional shelfies. We love it when you share the podcast with your friends and thanks so much to everyone who has left a five-star review. It helps other people to discover us and new books. Your Booked is produced by Dale Shaw for New Alaska and hosted by Acast. You can find a list of all the books mentioned by Sarah at acast.com booked and check out her selection in our bookshop on bookshop.org. Don't forget to follow further reading on Substack for more information about Sarah and her book, as well as lots of lit chat. We'll be back soon with more bookish conversations, but for now, I leave you with this from Natalie Goldberg. If you read good books, when you write, good books will come out of you. See you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.